When I was a small child, a lady in church that I used to see on Sundays gave me a book that is still in my possession. It's called the Children's Bible, and it's a pretty big book considering it's aimed at very little people. It's certainly a product of its time, and I'm glad to say that we have better representations of Jesus these days. But at six years old, the very vivid pictures in this book really captured my imagination. And one of my favorite stories was from Daniel, and it was the rescue of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. At six years, I loved the idea that men were able to walk in fire and remain unharmed. The story, as understood by my six-year-old self, had everything. There was the villain in the form of an evil king, there were three good heroes, and there was the intrigue of a fourth man who walked about in the fiery furnace with the three men. It all culminates with an exciting escape from the fire, and the men are free to worship God and to go about their business. If you haven't read it in a while, I fully commend it. Even in the adult version, it has a very fast pace. And evil is defeated and finished and done with in fewer than 10 verses. What more could anyone want from a Bible story? This morning's readings, however, don't leave us with quite the same sense of resolution. In Genesis, Jacob has a beautiful vision, but very soon his descendants are walking in subsequent books through the desert for a very long time. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, speaks of how creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. He urges us to hope for what we cannot see and to wait for it with patience. And then we come to today's gospel reading. This parable is often known as the parable of the weeds. Professor Amy Jill Levine draws our attention to the way that well-known titles tend to frame the story in a way that means we interpret the text in a particular way. So today, instead of the parable of the weeds, especially if it's familiar to you, I want us to think of this as the parable of the field. So why does Jesus tell us this parable about himself as a farmer, sowing very good seed which grows along some very bad seed that's destined to become a weed? And to understand this, we need to take ourselves back to the first century and recall that those who were listening were under Roman rule. Jesus' followers are after a revolution. They've been stuck with the Romans for far too long and they're looking for someone to turn things around quickly. They want the kingdom of God now. And we also need to look back to the book of Daniel because the people listening to Jesus would have been very familiar with those stories and they would have made connections between what Jesus was saying and what they'd heard the prophet Daniel speaking about. In some respects, today's parable has many of the same ingredients as my favorite story in Daniel. Both speak of good and evil, 
Both have a fiery furnace. Both require an intervention. And Daniel also speaks about a son of man who will judge over those who've oppressed God's people and of the victory of Israel over the nations. And this is what Jesus' followers are waiting for. But the big difference for them is that victory will not look how they'd imagined. Jesus might be the son of man that they've been waiting for, but he is not going to advance the kingdom of God as they had expected. The parable requires us to put into practice Paul's advice to hope for what we do not see and to wait for it with patience. The field causes a lot of bother because good and bad seed is grown there. The bad seed is a particular kind of weed that looks exactly like wheat. And so in its early stages of development, there's no difference whatsoever, but what it produces cannot be eaten. And Jesus is very clear about where the weeds come from. These weeds come from seeds sown by the devil. It's why early church fathers, like the ones that I'm always immersed in, um, Gregory of Nyssa, for example, when praying the Lord's Prayer, they didn't pray, deliver us from evil. They prayed, deliver us from the evil one. Many early Christians grasped what Jesus was talking about, which is why they put an emphasis on praying for the kingdom to come and for the deliverance from the evil one. And for anyone who is listening to Jesus at the time, this has very serious implications. If these weeds are sown by the devil, they're not going to be rooted out simply by ending Roman rule. Jesus is explaining that no matter how bad the Romans are, and they were pretty bad, there's a spiritual evil at work and it has spread into every corner of the earth. It's far more invasive and far more serious than being ruled by some men who you don't like. This enemy, as Jesus tells us, infiltrates every aspect of reality. So it's not going to be fixed by just one bit and then things are going to be okay. And so for us, that means the evils of our age can't be fixed, for example, by one political party because no one political party is going to fix this. This is one, as the parable tells it, for Jesus Christ. So we have a field of weeds and good wheat, and they grow up together. Those tending the field can't see what's wheat and what's weeds, so they're going to have to take care of the whole lot. You can just imagine the tension in the disciples when they're asking Jesus what this is all about. And they realize they've not only got to wait for a harvest, they don't get to do it. He's bringing in experts for this because it requires a specialist job. It's sort of like you wouldn't ask me to head up the St. Luke's kickball team, for example. <laughs> or you shouldn't if you didn't know that already, you shouldn't. Nor you should you ask me to fill in for Mary Hare if she was on vacation. The disciples don't have the faintest idea how to proceed with either weeding or with harvesting. And the same goes for us. Those jobs we need to trust to God. 
So no weeding and no harvesting. Well, what's left, you might ask? Tending the field. All those seeds need tending. Good seeds and bad. And while preparing for today, I read so many suggestions online that this parable teaches us to tolerate those who are different from us. How nice. But these weeds aren't just tolerated. They are cared for. That's a whole other thing. It's a very, very challenging task that the parable sets us. And where does the tending take place? Well, Jesus tells them not just to tend his friends, not just to tend the church, and not just those who we deem are worthy. This is tending the whole world. Because as far as the parable goes, the good seed is growing. The kingdom of God is advancing. And through his teaching on the kingdom of God, Jesus invites us to imagine a world where there is no injustice, no shame, and no brokenness. Where all aspects of our personal, political, and social systems are healed. Jesus teaches his disciples that it's not simply about getting rid of Rome. And he invites us to imagine a similarly big vision of what the world can look like when good seed takes root. When I read his sermons, it's clear that the preacher who rests here in Atlanta understood this parable and absorbed it into every aspect of his life and work. He preached against fear and violence and of tending the field in such a way that the kingdom of God can only advance. I speak, of course, of Dr. King, who said that God's purpose is not wrathful judgment. God's purpose is redemption, and the road to redemption is reconciliation. Only in that way will the world finally be saved. And we're invited to join in this work and to tend to this field as messy as it is working for justice in love and mercy. And in light of all that I've been reading on the news this week, tending the field will look like joining in the cry for history not to be rewritten with respect to the damage done through slavery. Calling it out as a lie that there was some benefit to those who were enslaved working toward a field in which everyone who labors in it has access to water to drink. Accepting that while we cannot rid the world of weeds, we can certainly join in in tending it. One way of which is to say our prayers and to speak the truth in love. Amen. Amen.